This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new unsettling stories taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. This is a pretty convoluted story, even by my own admission, so bear with me as I try to convey everything I can recall about what led me to the conclusion that my ex-housemate could have potentially been a serial killer, or a serial killer in the making. It was the summer of 2015 when I moved in, and at first appearances, my housemate-slash-landlord Mike was somewhat normal, if not a bit socially awkward and dysfunctional. When I was signing the papers, he was adamant that I should never go into the basement, which I found odd, but I really needed a place to stay, and, well, people have their little quirks, so I just chalked it up to that at the time. As I got to know Mike, and our cohabitation continued, I learned more about the depths of his dysfunction. Firstly, that he used meth. Now, I don't automatically judge people based on their vices, but I was surprised at the extent of his use. He was probably the first person that I ever knew who used meth and balanced a full-time job, enjoying a decent amount of success in life. The reason this is important to the story is that when he would be around the house, drinking and using his drugs, he would start to run off at the mouth. He would often joke that if I smelled lye coming from the basement, not to think anything of it. I think it was maybe the third time that he said this that I finally asked why he kept saying that. That's when he said, I use chemicals to clean up after the bodies, with a wily grin on his face. I tried to chalk that one up to a bad sense of humor, but it didn't sit right with me. He was also very particular that I let him know of my comings and goings of the day in addition to my work schedule. I remember him being shocked and uncomfortable one day that I ended up taking off of work because he didn't realize that I was home. I remember that day because there was a lot of clanging and what sounded like muffled shouting coming from the basement. His car was in the driveway, but he was not in the main house or his bedroom. Other days, he would play very loud music that bumped through the whole house. Sometimes, he would even play NPR talk radio at those same volumes. In retrospect, I think he may have been trying to mask sounds. He would make remarks about sex workers, saying, You can do whatever you want. You can choke them or beat them to death and nobody will care. I took exception to this. I told him that I thought that was messed up, but when he would get tweaking, he'd always come back around to alluding to the same kind of violence, talking about how he was a normal white guy who owned a house 
and he had a good career, so the police would never suspect him of anything. At this point, I start to think that it has gone too far to simply be a joke. I was in a weird position because money was tight at the time, and my options were few. I try to convince myself that even if he is messed up, he's probably just engaging in outward fantasism. I knew that he would acquire the services of sex workers on occasion, but again, did not judge that activity at face value, although it started to become a concern. At one point, I was doing laundry one night. I caught whiffs of what I can only think of as decomposition. The house we were in was in southeast Portland. It was a relatively new property, and having grown up in upstate New York, I know that animals can become trapped in the walls and die. But this was the garage, and there were no animals scurrying in the walls. This was strange, and telling to me. I considered carefully what I would do, and I decided I would confront him about the smell. I decided to pose the question in a somewhat suggestive manner, by expanding on his jokes. I told him that he needs to do a better job cleaning up the bodies, because I could smell the rot emanating from the garage. I will never forget his reaction. His eyes widened, and he shot me a sharp glare, somewhere between fear and rage. He stumbled over his words, and eventually responded, What? Really? I said, Yes, really. And there were a few seconds of awkwardness before he said, Thanks for letting me know. And promptly went into his bedroom and shut the door. A few days after that, he went into the upper crawl space in the garage while I was again doing laundry. He called for me and was trying to convince me to come up into the crawl space with him. My body locked up, and it was like my instincts were screaming at me that if I went up there, I wouldn't come back down. I gave some excuse that I can sparsely remember that I had to be someplace. I packed up my laundry, threw it in my room, and promptly left. He spent a lot of time in the padlock basement without a doorknob. The only way in was through the backyard. Looking back on this, I wish I would have gone down there to either confirm or dismiss the suspicions once and for all. In the last couple of months that I lived there, I was privy to more graphic comments about women and sex workers, explicit talk of sexual violence, and he was using more and more. He once showed me a video that he made. He's a graphic designer and artist as well, which featured heavy bondage themes, interspersed with distorted audio of women screaming, along with this strange, leering figure in a plague doctor costume. It was one of those situations where any one of these things alone may have been innocuous, but as they accumulated, it became suspicious to me. It was October of 2016 when I finally left there, taking off to the Ocheti Oyate camp during the anti-pipeline protests with Standing Rock Lakota. It was a feeling of being called to action and having nothing else to lose as I wanted to get out of that house in the worst kind of way. My last night there, I didn't give notice that I was leaving. He was drinking and tweaking once more. He started in on the same conversation, loosely describing murder 
and violence towards women in the tone of some sort of edgy joke. I told him that he would be caught eventually, not even holding back my suspicion anymore. He reiterated that he was the last person police would suspect, and asserted that nobody would be catching him. He said this in a very serious and concise way, dropping the pretense that he had been using before. I left the next morning. Now this haunted me for months, then a year, then a year and a half. I felt as though I hadn't done anything. The guilt was just eating away at me. So that's when I called Portland Crime Stoppers and put in an anonymous tip describing the situation that I had left. When I did, the operator started going back and forth, putting me on hold, because the call had piqued the interest of the police sergeant who was assigned to the call center. So they began asking me detailed questions about his vehicle, the house, the methods that he described, things like that. It really seemed like they took an interest. I gave them as much information as I could remember and left it at that, feeling just a little bit better that I had at least tried to do something about it. Fast forward to recent times, and I told my mother about all of this, and she too became interested, asking what house this was, what was the address, and then she ended up pulling it up on Google Maps. She brought up the street view, and I noticed there was a large enclosed trailer in the driveway that wasn't there when I was. I could theorize why it might have been there, but can't put together a practical reason for it, or why he'd be using it, unless he was moving, or using it to haul things to discard. Admittedly, that is all pure conjecture, but I couldn't help but wonder. I doubt that I will get closure, or have my suspicions validated, unless he does finally get caught and arrested, and I happen to read about it. I've grown up poor and been around lowlives a lot in my life. I've interacted with many sketchy and unsavory people in my time, but none of them have ever made the impression that Mike made on me. Make of it what you will, but I hope I never meet him again. This happened a few nights back, so I still find myself replaying it over and over in my head. I thought that this would be a good place to share. I'm a pretty predictable person with a predictable routine schedule, so I'm not sure if this was a random occurrence or if someone knew my nightly routine. I'm a 35-year-old woman. My husband, Rob, gets up for work hours before me, so he often goes to bed before I do. I usually get to bed a few hours after he does, around the same time every it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Every night. I turn off the lights and TV in the living room and take my dog to the back door to let her out. She's tiny, old, and poses zero threat to anyone. The door itself leads to a large deck outside. Off to the right of the deck, 
are a few steps down and a small path to the gate, which we always keep chained and locked. Every single night before opening the door, I've developed a habit. I peek out the window right next to it without disturbing the blinds and flip on the deck light. Not sure where this came from, but it's nearly an OCD level tick now. I never expect anyone to be there, and we've never had a problem with anyone trespassing or trying to break in. It's just something that I do every night. Kind of like peeking behind the shower curtain before you pee. We all know no one is back there, but if you don't check, then that's going to be the one time that there actually is someone hiding there, you know? So a few nights ago, it's about that time of night, I got ready for bed, went to the back door with my dog slowly following behind me, peeked out the window, and flipped on the light. Only this night, my heart jumped into my throat when I saw a skinny, dirty guy in his 30s standing off to the side of the door, looking directly at it. I see him raise his arm up and hold what looks to be a screwdriver above his head as soon as the light flicks on, as if he were preparing for someone to open the door. Some people say they freeze for a moment when faced with some sort of crisis, but not me. I immediately screamed, Rob, get up, get the gun, as loud as I could, which seemed to startle the guy outside. He jumped over the rail of the deck and hit the ground with a thud, even though he was right next to the stairs. I heard impact on the gate down the stairs as well, which gave me every indication that whoever this guy was, he was now running off into the night. My husband ran out of our bedroom with his gun, which I give him full credit for doing after being awakened from a dead slumber by his screaming wife. He called the police, and they showed up within five minutes. They ended up driving around the neighborhood, trying to find the guy, but no luck. When they took my statement, I gave them every detail that I could recall in the two seconds of seeing the guy, but it wasn't much. While I very much got the feeling that these cops wanted to help, the realization that they likely weren't going to be able to find this creep is most likely what swept over them. Turns out, the guy broke the lock on our gate to get in. He had also pried open the back screen door, which we always kept locked as well. If I would have opened the door without looking out first, I might have let him right in, or I may have walked into an attack meant for me. I don't know if I caught the guy trying to break in, or if he was waiting for me to open the door like I do every night. Either way, it was f***ing terrifying. My parents are buying us outdoor security cameras this week as an early birthday present for Rob and as a deterrent for any other neighborhood creeps that might get the same idea the first creep did. Glad we never did come face to face, but that was still a close enough call for a couple of lifetimes in my book. I came over to the United States from Serbia at the age of 13 with my mother. My older brother, who's 15 years older than me, had lived in America for a few years and he had finally sent for us. We had long hoped to be reunited as a family so we were particularly excited to make the journey. We arrived in New York City, and the plan was for my brother to come get us from the airport. However, his wife was nine months pregnant at the time, 
and my niece decided that she couldn't wait for us before she made her own arrival into the world. My brother couldn't leave his wife, so he asked a co-worker of his, a fellow cab driver, to pick us up in the city and drive us to New Jersey where he and my sister-in-law lived. When we got to New York City, we waited in customs for what seemed like forever. We looked out for my brother, but didn't see him. This was the early 90s, and cell phones weren't as common. And even if they were, my mom and I didn't have one. We panicked a bit, not seeing my brother or my sister-in-law. When suddenly, we heard our names being called and saw a tall man. He introduced himself in perfect Serbian and explained that he was a good friend of my brother's and then told us about the baby. He said he'd be driving us the two hours from the airport to my brother's home. My mom relaxed a bit and they happily began to converse about the baby and my brother and America. I, however, just felt a bit off. This guy gave me bad vibes and regardless of my brother's friendship with him, I instantly felt a feeling of distrust. We drove for a good hour and a half when he announced that he was going to take us for breakfast. We hadn't eaten in over 15 hours, so we were starving. We pulled up to a house, which was something that both my mom and I were confused by. He insisted cheerfully that his wife was cooking us breakfast, and after we'd eaten, he'd drive us the rest of the way to the hospital to see my family. My mom shushed me when I whispered something didn't feel right and told me that we needed to be grateful for the hospitality. We were led into the house. It was dark, dank, and dirty. And as we're being shown around this ragtag dwelling, I think my mom finally got a bit nervous herself and began insisting that the man take us to my brother. That's when the guy grabbed my mom by the wrist, telling her that he needed a wife to take care of him and his house. Apparently, when he heard my brother tell the others at work that she'd be coming to stay, this man said that he knew that he'd found a wife. At that time, I was a scrawny little scamp of a kid, and even though I tried pushing him off my mom, he hit me so hard that I saw stars. At this point, we were terrified. Neither of us spoke English. The only phone number we knew was my brother's home number and he was at the hospital. Also, in Serbia, you don't dial 911, so even if I could, I didn't know that's how to call the police here. This man tells my mom she's to clean and cook for him, and he takes me to the basement, where I was locked in what I now know is called the laundry room. I banged and cried and yelled, but it was so far down in the basement that everything was muffled, and I'm sure no one outside could hear me. For a week, we were kept in his home. He'd lock us up in the basement after my mom cooked him breakfast, and he'd let us out when he'd come home at four. If we had to use the restroom, there was a bathroom in the basement, but that's it. Just a bathroom and laundry room. It was freezing cold down there too. And even with us huddling together under a blanket, it did nothing. On our eighth morning down there, I discovered a small window by climbing on some boxes. I managed to force it open, and my mother insisted that I squeeze through it. I didn't want to leave her, and I couldn't figure out how I'd be able to get us help. I couldn't speak the language, nor could I read it. However, 
I knew that I didn't want to live this way the rest of my life, so I did as she asked. I ran once I got out, and I bet that I was quite the sight. A scrawny boy with no shoes, only wearing shorts and a t-shirt in the middle of November. But I'm sure that that's at least partially what saved us. Several concerned neighbors tried to get me to come to them, although I wouldn't. I was terrified. I just kept trying to get them to follow me. The police were eventually called, and a very nice policeman tried to get me into his car. But that's when I saw the man who'd taken us drive up in his taxi. He saw me with the cops, and promptly took off. That's when I made a run for the house. I knew I had to get back to my mom. Needless to say, the cop and his partner ran after me, and after making entry into that awful home, my mother was rescued. It took another four hours for them to find someone who spoke our language, for us to tell them what had happened. A warrant was issued for the man, my brother was contacted. Turns out that his friend had told them we never showed, and my brother had been frantically calling everyone back home in Serbia trying to find us. My brother drove up to get us, and to give the cops information on his supposed friend so that they could find him, but they never did. From what I understand as an immigrant, it was much easier to simply fall off the map as a foreigner pre-9-11. This act made me distrustful of people and their intentions for a long time afterwards. My mom grew homesick, and she ended up going back to Serbia. I stayed here with my brother and finished school, then later attended the police academy. I don't know if I would have chosen that path had I not met the nice officer that helped us all those years ago. I think of that guy who kept us prisoner every now and then, and honestly, I wouldn't mind meeting him now. I just don't think he'd want to meet me. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 